This is the You Winning Life Podcast, your number one source for mastering a positive existence. Each episode, we'll be interviewing exceptional people, giving you empowering insights, and guiding you to extraordinary outcomes. Learn from specialists in the worlds of integrative and natural wellness, spirituality, psychology, and entrepreneurship. So you, too and be winning life. Now, here's your host, licensed marriage and family therapist, certified neuro-emotional technique practitioner, and certified entrepreneur coach, Jason Wasser. All right, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of the You Winning Life podcast. And you know who I am already. And today's guest is Andrew Cap, And he is a author and philosopher and someone who's completely in the wheelhouse of all the stuff we've talked about in the show. He's written the book, The Last Love Attraction book you will ever need to read. And I've already this week pulled it out twice in session and literally flashed it across the screen to different two different clients of mine. Um, so I'm really excited to be going into one of my favorite topics that many people out there aren't so sure about. There's a lot of out? Is it too woo-woo? Is it too hippy-dippy? Is this stuff actually real? And Andrew and I are going to get into a conversation about how to, one, truly understand what's really happening in this philosophy and this approach, and hopefully walk away with some practical applications about how we can all use it. So Andrew, welcome. Jason, thanks so much for having me. Really grateful to be here and really excited for wherever we're going to take this conversation. I'm, I'm game for it. Yeah. So, you know, the first place to start is what introduced you to this? And before you jumped into it, what did you know about it? And what was your original thoughts? And how did that kind of pivot and change along the way? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I learned about the law of attraction back in 2004. And I was just a struggling entrepreneur who wanted like the secret to happiness and life, you know, like how do I be successful and how do I get the girl, of my dreams and now like, like blah, 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 the cars, the houses, all that. And law of attraction was just one modality of many that I was dipping my toe in the pool of. And it was just so I didn't have a, a preconceived notion. I wasn't aware of what it was necessarily beforehand. It was just, I was just going down this rabbit hole and, you know, we didn't quite have YouTube in the same way. Like internet was still there, but the rabbit hole was, um, it wasn't so complex it didn't cascade so easily for you. And honestly, for me, law of attraction, when I first, you know, learned it and first tried it, it was very inconsistent for me. And I would find out years later that it was really me who was inconsistent. And, um, you know, at the risk of extending this answer, just to stretch out and get a little more insight in, in my experience with it, I kind of learned the hard way four years later, because I basically lost my business as that young entrepreneur, and my girlfriend of three years all in the same week. Mm. And she didn't break up in person. And she didn't even break up over the phone, she broke up over text, which kind of tells you how bad things were. Yeah. Ironically, I quit my business to try to salvage the relationship, but it was already on the rocks because I was so desperate trying to hold the business afloat. I think anyone listening can relate. Like when you're trying to hold everything up all at the same time, everything cascades. But I basically had to look in the mirror and say, listen, what something's got to change here. And I had this very weird simultaneous epiphany and moment of indignation where I looked back and I said, well, with all these things I tried that are supposed to work, the only thing that actually seemed to have any promise and started to work until I stopped using it was what I understood of the law of attraction. And I, that, that's why I said, listen, I don't care what happens. I don't care when it happens, why it happens, how it happens. I don't care about any of that. I'm going to go all in with this once and for all. 
And when I say all in, I don't mean all day, every day, because as angry as I was with myself and my life, I was at least insightful enough in who I was in human nature and psychology to understand that it's not sustainable to grit your teeth all day, every day. But what I could do was five or 10 minutes a day of the visualization exercises and the gratitude exercises and scripting that we can talk about that I already had been doing before stopping. And this time I was going to stop stopping. I was going to not, no matter what happened, if things got better, if things got worse, I was just going to keep on keeping on. And Jason, it's almost like a movie because as soon as I made that decision, everything shifted. Like within two weeks, I felt better, which I think anyone who's experienced a broken heart can say, okay, that's saying a lot that you're feeling better. Um, wasn't hundred percent, but it's a hell of a lot better than I should have been feeling from that moment. Three months later, I'm in a brand new way, healthier relationship with someone that really understood me. Four months later, as you know, movie-like as it sounds, I'm making more money than at any point in my life before then. And six months later, everything's different. I'm happy. I'm fulfilled. I'm waking up grateful. I'm in the best shape of my life. And I basically realized the hard way that whatever this law of attraction thing is, even if it doesn't work the way I think it works, it works when you work it, at least in my own life experience and the experience of anyone I've met that's actually tried it. And ever since then, I basically had that insight, like, okay, let me just stick with five minutes a day and allow things to flow from there. And apologies for the extended answer, but I figured uh, that might give people a little more insight into where I'm coming from on this. I want to go back to what you just talked about at the beginning, which was the place of desperation. And I know right as a therapist and when I'm working with my coaching clients, how much I'll bring in this philosophy of you can never solve a problem from a place that feels like crap. And from a scientific perspective, which we can get into a little bit more, and you talk about this in the book of, uh, you know, our brain, uh, the neurology of when we get into our fight or flight part of our brain, right? Our brain, for those of you who've heard me talk about this before, the triune brain theory, and you have your rational brain, which is, you know, where you're at, you know, that you're listening to this podcast right now. Um, And then you have your mammalian brain, which is part of the emotions and it's timeless memories. And then your reptilian brain, which is your survival, fight or flight, right? Those type of things. And when you're flooded physiologically, emotionally, you go into that reptilian survival brain. So it really is acts of desperation. And I know, and how I help, you know, work with my, my clients is to help them move away from desperation and trying to solve a problem reactively to solving it from a place of proactively. And I know a lot of the things that we can get into is just this simple mindset understanding of, always ask for what you want. Don't ask for what you don't want. So this is how it plays out in my practice. If I'm seeing a couple and they're like, well, what are you here for? Like, well, we want to stop fighting. Okay, cool. So if we solve that, what would then happen? Well, we wouldn't be yelling at each other so much. Okay. So if that wasn't happening, what would then be happening? Well, we wouldn't be upset with each other. Okay. Right. So we're so free. uh, We're so preloaded with looking at things through this negative script, as you know, Mm, right. That we don't know how to ask for, well, we'd be more playful and we'd be more fun and we'd be enjoying more time together. It's always that negative filter that we're predisposed to from our reptilian survival brain that this process takes effort to shift. Yeah. And what I, I invite you to correct me if, if you disagree here, mm-hmm. what I hear in that explanation also is we're often looking at the wrong thing, thinking that that's what we want. We're trying to solve a symptom versus the actual problem. And I love the way you take people so intuitively and so insightfully like, okay, well, what does that mean? Or what does that look like? Because people in the end, they don't want the fancy car. And, you know, I'm, I'm taking a leap here because everyone is different. But like, ultimately, they want a feeling of security, but they want a feeling of social status, which is part of security. Right. You see, even that right now, 
I, I took it from a, a deeper level. I automatically instinctively took it to a surface level. Like we do this. It's like, no, they wanted that feeling of security because that's from the social stature. That's from feeling good about yourself. That's from knowing your success, your parents being proud, all these things. It goes back down to that feeling of security. So if people can get to that, it's going to auto-correct so many things. And they might, they might still want the car or they might want something that they actually serves them in a better, deeper, higher way. Correct. And I think the meaning behind what something is, is really what we're focusing on. So I say this all the time to my clients. I'm like, the problem that you're coming in to solve isn't the problem that we need to Right. And that's usually the mountain in front of the mountain, but it's your beliefs about that. Right. Yeah. Like you just said, like, well, it's wait, it's is it, you really want the car, but what does that present to you? What does that feel like for you? What do you feel like when you're driving around? What do you want people to notice? What do you want to feel more secure about? Right. And if it is stability or financial status or right, social status, all those things, that's the behind the scenes that I know you and I are trying to help people understand that things all have meaning and they have feelings that are, and, and, and other stories and beliefs that are attached to it. But if we don't clean up the behind the scenes stuff, we can't be in receptive mode on yeah. in any topic of our life. And just to kind of maybe, you know, solidify it all together. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. The way I've kind of put it is a very binary one and zero on every topic or every theme in the world, you can either be empowered about it or you can be what you perceive to be a victim to it. And it's really a dance between those things and cleaning up as much as possible and as many topics or themes or concerns or issues as possible that are you empowered in relationship to it? Are you in alignment? Are you in sync with it? Is it proactive and strategic and multiple possibilities? Or have you somehow allowed yourself and decided in that experience or believe that you've become a victim to that and therefore you can't or it's not able or you're not capable of? Yeah, you know, I really appreciate the elegant way that you're articulating it because I believe that you and I, we're probably on the same page with that like 99% of things, but we, mm-hmm. we articulate it differently. So when you talk about like empowered versus, you know, the, you know, a difference for that, I take it from a binary standpoint of does it feel good or does it not feel good? Because it's such a guiding way. And um, if people, th- some people they like to tell themselves like, well, they can't tell. It's like, no, you can tell you're telling yourself you can't tell. But you can tell, and this is complete, complete aside, but when I was a kid, if I couldn't decide on something, I would used to flip a coin, but I wouldn't do what the coin told me. I would do what I felt about what the coin told me. Like, I was like, heads, I ask her out, and tails, I don't. And tails close up, but no, heads comes up, but I'm still scared. Like, I'm not going to do it anyway, even though that was the wrong decision. Yeah. But it's like, I didn't let, I let the flip really just give me a, a, a pathway into what my gut was telling me about what I really felt. We know whether something feels feels good or feels bad, and we can get better and more attuned to it the more we practice it, even you know for just a couple minutes a day, and that solves so many problems in our lives. So yeah, I love I love the the binary approach because it creates so much possibility in so many cascading different ways. So let's go into that gut feeling, right? That's such a powerful thing that we can call it intuition, right? Every, every culture, every background has its own thing. And, and the world of psychology probably doesn't talk about that as much. It's kind of like, well, what's the most, right? You know, what's the simplest decision or what, you know, what is what, whatever story that they come up with, but gut intuition, how, you know, that's such a great salient example of how does the experience that you're setting yourself up for make you feel and I'm finding that a lot of people don't trust that process for themselves. They haven't learned how to go through that. So it could be anxiety provoking, 
for mm-hmm. some people to go do what feels better because of all of the rules and constructs that they've bought into in their life yeah. that limits them from being able to freely do that. So how would one discern what truly feels good and healthy versus getting stuck in the trappings of this feels good and healthy, but might actually get them more stuck. So there, I, have, I have two answers to it. One that I hope is actually more useful than the other, but it's also more indirect because like the answer one is you just know, which like, okay, thanks, Andrew. That, anyone listening like that still didn't help me. So here's a more indirect way. I, I think sometimes because we are so, we are so creative and we are so powerful, which includes being so good at, at holding up illusions and obstacles and walls and this and that. I like to kind of go around the problem in order to like cut it at its knees, so to speak, even though that doesn't make sense as a metaphor. Um, but I would say the daily practice of gratitude because, okay, you're in, you're, this has nothing to do with like that gut feeling, but what you are doing is you're practicing the feeling within your body. And whether you want to go on a spiritual level or just emotional or uh, mental, if you practice gratitude every single day, you're basically working out or exercising your feeling muscle. And then those subtle gut feelings, which have always been there, will become clearer and more obvious to you by virtue of the fact that you're just in the practice and in the process of getting what it feels like in your body, even if it has nothing to do with that that exact thing. And the reason I lean on gratitude is because it's a win in and of itself, no matter what. So that's just a side benefit, a really huge side benefit. But gratitude in and of itself, I think, is the easiest way and the best way and the most powerful and efficient and productive way of getting yourself to the place where you really can kind of suss out your gut feelings and know what your body's telling you. And gratitude has definitely become this more um, mind, right? The mindfulness word of 2021, 2022, Mm -hmm. um, even to the point where it's right. It's merged its way into the entrepreneurship world. And Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk is always talking about gratitude as the first place for anything. So we know that like, this is a true universal belief and practice that will uplift and help in so many different arenas of our life. What's your definition of gratitude? Because I think um, if we start there from that vantage point, it can maybe help, uh, again, like tease apart some places where people are stuck. So I want to just quickly acknowledge you for asking me for the definition, because just as a preface to this, since gratitude has been so used, it is now a loaded word. The way love is, the way God is, the way sex is. These are now loaded terms where we are assigning a lot more meaning or a lot less meaning than might be useful to us. So as I give this definition, I invite people to, again, check in. Like, do you agree with this? Is it more? Is it less? Because this is just me. But for me, gratitude is really just this this sense of ease and contentment in the moment with what I have and who I am. And it's a very weird thing because, you know, I know we're getting a little more esoteric now. It's me whether I'm telling the universe or my subconscious mind or both, depending on your beliefs, it's me kind of um, reinforcing the vibration or the psychology or the, the thought pattern that all is well. And that I have what I want, which will, you know, outside the scope of that question, invite or instruct the universe or your subconscious mind, depending on your beliefs to start paving the way for really good things for you. But yeah, it's, it's really just that feeling of contentment with who I am and what I have. Knowing that life is not perfect, but it's getting better and it's great right now. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of, um, there's a old school talk about generations, a couple thousand years ago here in, in, in Jewish literature in a, in a tractate or a thing called ethics of our fathers in Hebrew perke avot. And one of the things they, they teach, it's a bunch of collection of teachings and they say, uh, 
from the Hebrew to English translation, they say, who is a happy person? And the answer is a person who is, uh, or what's, excuse me, what's a rich person. And it's a person mm. who is happy with their portion, which mm. is really like one of the first biggest gratitude things. Like if you take and acknowledge what you have and you focus more on what you do have than what you don't have, which I really do think is the whole philosophy and the whole concept in its simplistic form. Do you look around and, oh, wow, like I have a phone that is streaming any audio that I want at any time and any album that has ever made throughout history on a multitude of platforms. And if I can't find it here, I can find it there. And if I do have to pay for it, it's going to cost me no more than a few dollars that if you probably have the phone, you can probably also afford this phone, right? And getting into that minutia of the little, like, oh, that's pretty cool. Because I remember, and I'm sure you remember, walking around with a case of CDs or having cassettes or right, having to flip it right, and driving, making sure you have the right CDs for the road trip. And, and now everything is in our pockets and having gratitude for that. Like this is, right, as, as y'all are listening out there, is, is that's the simplicity of this really beautiful and deep and powerful field of thought is that it's not just hippy-dippy. In other words, the science behind this and the practice behind this is simple, is tangible is in your hands, so to speak, to do. So when you're talking about gratitude from your end, what are some of the additional practices? Because I know in, right, in your book, and uh, one of the things that I'm familiar with is, you know, the, the, the just going on a two, three, four minute, like list and rampage, right? I know, right? The rampage yeah. of attraction and all the things that you have gratitude for as minute as it is. Yeah. So yeah, you, you use the word rampage, which, which tells me you might be familiar with Abraham Hicks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of call it a blitz. And for me, it just, I, I go with words that, that feel right to me or that, that sure. feel like they really paint the picture and a blitz is you kind of like, you, you just went on a mini blitz there when you were talking about music and like me, I have this thing in the book where I try to, you know, I try to, I copy edited the thing myself and I try to make it really easy on the eyes, but one page there's no skips. There's no breaks. It's just like one big page of me saying all these things that I am great. Like anyone can be grateful for kind of making a point that it really is that easy. And for anyone listening, because some people listening right now, life is good. Some people it's not so good. And some people are like, well, how can I feel grateful when X, Y, Z is happening? I'm like, listen, here's a simple, easy thing. I am grateful for my heart that's beating in my chest and has been beating in my chest for every second of every minute of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, of every decade that I've been alive, tirelessly sending blood, nutrients, everything the rest of my body needs, which is also in service to me. Speaking of my body, I'm grateful for my hands, my fingers, my toes, my feet, my legs, my arms. By the way, anyone, like, if you're not grateful for your hands, have you ever, like, you know, sprained your hand or had it in a cast? You find out pretty quickly how wonderful your hands are. You stub your toe and, you know, you feel like how one, you find out really quick how wonderful your feet are. You hurt your back. You, fi- you find out all these things really quick. And you were speaking of like the ease of like, you know, music, everything's in our pocket. I mean, think about the phones, think about our devices. This computer I'm talking on right now, I'm running my business from like what an amazing, even if there's issues with the computer, even if there's frustrations, I can't help but be grateful for all the wonderful things that it is and it does for me. Just, and I haven't even gone into friendships. I haven't even gone to um, mentors, family, supporters, people in your corner. And you, Jason, like right now, this conversation, it's very easy to be like, oh, let me just stay on point and do my best. And at the same time, like I can't help but be filled with gratitude that I'm having a conversation with someone who clearly, care- and I mean this, I'm not just saying this, 
not blowing smoke, clearly cares about their audience, clearly cares about their show, is clearly doing something to raise the state of the world. And I'm honestly, I'm grateful to myself for putting myself in the space with people like you. Like this is a, this is a blitz and notice sometimes I can talk fast. Sometimes I can talk slow. It doesn't matter. You're just thinking of things that are like wonderful about your life or in your life. That's all there really is to it, to a blitz. Right. And my guess is, first of all, thank you for the compliment and it's exciting always. And that's why I have this platform is how do I get what I'm talking about with my clients, whether they're with me for 45 minutes or 60 minutes a week and share this, the the stuff that I'm cultivating from the world and bring it out to more people who don't yet have the opportunity to be in front of me in person or one-on-one and, 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 and all the wonderful guests that I've had since I started this, it's, it, it, as you're talking and I'm talking, you know, and I know that when you're talking about feeling good, if we were probably hooked up to heart rate monitors and we saw our heart rate go up, with anticipation where I'm feeling my heart beating a little bit faster and I'm noticing that. And you were talking about the heart a few minutes ago, but noticing just the excitement when you're talking about feeling positive, feeling good, then that's one of the signs, right? And a lot of people will misconstrue that as my heart rate is rising. Oh my God, I should freak out as opposed to, oh my gosh, my heart rate can go up for good reasons Hmm. too. And that's the discernment. And a lot of this mindfulness practice, a lot of the law of attraction practice, from my understanding is discernment. Again, going back into talking about more of what you want and less of what you don't want. And I was talking to one of my clients this morning, who I'm helping him get these basic ideas as he's filtering through uh, career decisions and through core values and what feels good and what feels healthy and what feels uplifting and what feels playful and not judging where he's at at this point in his life. And he's so young and still unpackaging it. And I said, listen, like if someone... Like I, I have learned to discern scotch over the last many years. And I only got introduced to it because it was a certain community of people I was friends with, and they only buy really expensive scotch. And once they started showing me the difference and allowing me to taste the difference, I'm like, well, I can't go back to a Jack Daniels now. Now mm. Jack Daniels is a good whiskey, right? It's good, right? But it's not going to be my preference because I prefer, right? It's still going to be good, but it's a preference and it's a choice and it's, Okay, so I can start off here, but it would really be even more great here. So, so this idea of discerning through different layers of this feels good, this feels great, this feels even better, this feels even amazing is another way that I like sharing to like filter through that it's not just this either feels amazing or it feels like crap. We can work our way up that scale of, well, yeah, this will be, this will be good. It's, I mean, it's not right. It's, it's good. This would feel amazing, but I'm still going to be happy with this. I'm still going to be content here. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a huge proponent of being open to that amazing feeling, but never making it a requirement because I know, and by the way, everything I say is the attitude, like I'm no better than anyone listening. The reason I can say this stuff is because I've fallen for this trap more than anyone else. And I have basically, I've had to look at myself and make so many of these mistakes and fortunately be curious enough about myself that I can catch myself in the act, which is a whole different line of conversation. But I understand the value in not putting pressure on, on myself or for anyone putting pressure on themselves to have to feel amazing. I'm like, no, let's just feel good. Just feel fine. And like, if you feel better than that, awesome. Like let that happen. But as long as you feel fine, you've, you're already so far ahead of the curve. You don't even realize you are so far ahead. That's the thing. People, 
people don't. And, and once you realize that it opens the door to feeling amazing. It's like, listen, you, you can't go in the gym and bench press 500 pounds on your first day. You've got to start first of all, start with the bar. Don't even put weights on start with like, if you've never been in the gym before, just so that your muscles know what it feels like. And you're not like overextending them just in terms of getting the range of motion. There, there are so many things where baby steps aren't running from the fact that you can't do better. They're actually the facilitating way by which you access better for yourself. Yeah. And I see this a lot in the entrepreneur space with people who are trying to build businesses or they're trying to do really, really big deals and they haven't built up enough practical experience. And by what I mean by that is the feeling of making or closing a smaller deal or doing the selling a dollar item for the first time to selling a $50 to a hundred right? and building that momentum versus just going all into, well, I'm going to just do million dollar deals. Well, but have you ever done a $500,000 deal? And, and then the disappointment and the frustration and then how easily they might give up because of course, on one side, swing for the fences on the other side, build momentum and muscle memory and simplicity and a lack of resistance around easier, more simplistic things. And I think that goes back hand in hand to what you were using the metaphor for the gym. Oh yeah. Fail and get your teeth kicked in on a $5,000 deal where you can recover versus failing and getting your teeth kicked in on a million dollar deal where there's bankruptcy and there's credit destroyed and there's reputation destroyed and there's all these things. And same goes for like, you know, for the law of attraction method. The weird thing about law of attraction is it is, there's this jump where someone will, will do a method for the first time And they actually, they might not to put pressure on anyone. They might feel beyond fantastic because it's the first time they've given themselves permission to even feel into this. And they're blown away. Like, Oh my God, what am I missing? Then the next day rolls around. And now there's not only an expectation, but a requirement of feeling the same way, but you can't, you can't take 30 years of nothing and then this explosion and make it happen again, 24 hours. So there's almost like this hidden trap where if people don't feel just as great or even better the next day or like, Oh, you know, that was temporary. That doesn't work. Like, no, listen, there's, there's levels to this. It it oscillates. Sometimes you're going to feel fantastic. And sometimes you're going to feel fine. Sometimes you feel fantastic again, give yourself permission and be okay with it. Yeah. This morning I heard a story from one of my clients who were away for a week last week um, and they were overseas and they did this really awesome uh, mini plane tour over this beautiful uh, Vista that you can only see in its full glory by the plane. And they're like, Jason, we were really scared. Like it was like, I prayed on this plane. Like, and we were like, it was like one of those prop, you know, little, you know, planes in a, you know, down in South America. And the next day they saw in the news that that exact plane with that pilot and guests didn't make it. Wow. They were literally last week, right? Today's Tuesday. This was last Friday that that plane went down in Latin America. And they're talking to me about like, the pivot of their thoughts and the stuff that they've been going through uh, and family dynamics and how much gratitude they have right now. And of course, right. I fully felt in that, that the emotions sweep over to me and the gratitude that I have that they're okay. And the, the sadness that I had for, for the people who lost their life and the pilot that lost their life. And, and, and I, you know, for some reason, the, the next thought was the feeling that you have in this stark experience that's so fresh in your mind is going to fade away very quickly. Mm. What do you need to do to capture the level of gratitude that you have so that in three weeks, when it's not such a sharp trauma 
possibility in two months, in three months, what do you need to remember? What do you need to practice and start putting into play little by little with that momentum as the actual memory of this moment goes away? And that's the blessing of, of our physiology and our neurology is that we are wired to heal. We are wired for survival. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting to put that way. It's because like they, they have to be grateful to be alive, but if their brain were to work in the way where they had that same level of gratitude and were dwelling on it really every single day, they're actually technically not equipped to survive in the same way because they can't move on. They can't prepare food. They can't go on job interviews. They can't function. They can't work out. You know, it's like, like you said, we're not like the mind and you're obviously way more of an expert in that than me, but like, as I understand it, the mind not only, you know, copes, but also I I read somewhere that every time you think back on a memory, you're, you're, technically like rewriting it to an extent you're you because you have a whole different um emotional set point where you are right now you have different things going on it's getting mixed in you remember you're interpreting you're you're projecting you're doing all these things so even that thing that that seems so crystal clear to you from 10 years ago that you've been thinking about every single day you've changed it without even realizing it yeah and i and i realize that when we're talking about these narratives and these stories what reminds me is like we all have these beliefs that are pre-programmed like we talked about at the beginning that are conscious and unconscious and i remember after breaking up uh after a relationship i was in um after my divorce where i had to start re-narrating experience that i went through while i was i'm not going to say like well when i was with so-and-so the per- my ex's name right and i had to like learn how to re-narrate like oh have you ever done this oh yeah i went here with so-and-so right i couldn't just like well who's so-and-so and then i didn't want to get into that on date one or day two And then I'm like, right, then it became, instead of their person's name, it became, oh, I was there with an ex. That was the next evolution Mm -hmm. as I, right? And and then eventually it became, oh yeah, when I was there once on a trip. So in a way, it's the healthy version of the back to the future picture where the people in the picture were slowly disappearing from the the picture when he went back in time to, to, to connect his parents, right? If, if for those of you who remember the back to the future, that's the whole thing of like his whole reality was disappearing in the picture that was showing him whether he was on the right path or not on the right path of him actually being born in the future. And he was going back to save himself literally, but, but to dishonor in a way, it was like, am I dishonoring things that I learned from, even though they might've been difficult by unwriting and rewriting this script that actually would lead me to more possibilities in the future and finding a way to do that without dishonoring something that didn't work out in the past in a yeah. good, healthy way. Yeah. And you know, obviously I'm, I'm projecting right now, even in, in response to that, but, but what I hear in that also is wonderful strategy. It's a recognition of the way your mind works and the way you want your life to be and the happiness that you want to invite and the way you don't, you, you want to prevent any prior bad ex- negative experiences from preventing you from doing ones. And you're strategically saying, okay, here's what I can do with these thoughts and these memories and these emotions in a productive, efficient way. That's actually going to invite healing. That's going to invite possibility. That's going to make things better and being 100% unapologetic about it. Like it's like, no, this is, this is a healthy thing for me to do. And therefore I'm going to do it. Right. And I also didn't want to dishonor all the positive things of that previous relationship. And as I'm sure if you went back to that relationship that you were starting off that you shared with, even though it ended in a way that really wasn't great, doesn't take away the fact that there were all of these little micro moments and micro connections that actually were positive that allowed you to want to continue this or any type of relationship. And I feel that we, 
And a lot of times we discount this sweeping broad experience so we can finally become more clear versus honoring even though this didn't work out, here are the things that were still lovely about that. Add that to our list of positive things. And I, and, 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 you know, and right, Esther or Abraham uh, talks about that sifting and sorting and right. Okay. So you didn't like that pizza at that place, but it doesn't mean you're not going to like all pizza unless you're allergic to it. Right. But, but then it's like, okay, well, what do you want instead? And I love using this teaching. Um, and it's kind of like going into a pizza place and saying, well, you know, they like, what do you want? I'm like, well, I want a, I want a pizza, but I don't want mushrooms and anchovies on it. Mm-hmm. And well, it's that simple. It's that simple. Don't go from there. That's not right. It's, it's, well, what do you do want? Well, I just told you, I don't want that. Well, is that because you had a bad experience with mushrooms and olives? And you can say like, yeah, you know what? Let me honor that. Pizza was good. Toppings weren't so great. Here's what I want instead. And focus on what you want instead and how would that, the excitement and the curiosity about that. And that may not turn out also, right? Right. So, so I really want to break this component down. Someone starts asking and aligning and feeling good about something. And then that doesn't turn out the way that they want, even though we all know, you and I know it's a learning experience to be more clear and more concise and practice that. But how, what, like, what's that first initial response when someone's like, well, but I did do this and it still didn't yet turn out how I want. What would you say from that vantage point? Well, so there's, there's a lot of possibilities going on in there. And here, here's where I'll, I'll kind of lay foundation. And by the way, I think it's clear, by the way, I'm about to speak. I'm not a, a psychotherapist. I'm not a psychologist. I don't have that, that background. So I'm articulating these things in a way that um, certainly you would t- articulate differently. But it's more of like, even though I believe it's true on a certain level, it's also very metaphoric so that people just can wrap their minds around it. And this is where I talk about, like, from my book, The Three Minds conscious mind, subconscious mind, and the ego. And the ego, as I define it, is that part of your mind that is only interested in one thing, and that's your survival. And that's a really crucial thing because right now, you know, wherever you are in your life, it's good or bad news because maybe right now you don't, you're, anyone listening out there has money problems or relationship problems, even health problems. Your ego is looking around saying, well, my person's alive right now. And you know what? I don't want to risk the status quo. I know that they want to be rich and famous, but for all I know, when they become rich, they're going to have a bunch of family coming out of the woodwork, trying to take their home and their cars from them. For all I know, as the ego for this person trying to protect them in a misguided way, when they become famous, they're going to get a bunch of stalkers. So what I'm going to do with my deep insight, even though I don't have the insight to stretch out and realize that their survivability will actually go up when they have that, I'm going to use my insight and prey on their fears and their uncertainties and, and all the things that I can leverage to keep them from doing it, including having them say, well, I tried this thing, but it didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to make them impatient. I'm going to be that, that wisp, that voice, that, that devil on their shoulder, whispering in their ears saying, you know what? You, you've done this for seven straight days. You, you've meditated for seven days. You can take a day off. Or you know what? This isn't working. Or you know what? You don't really want that. Or whatever needs to be said. I attribute all these things to that part of your mind that I define as the ego, which actually loves you. It is desperately trying to keep you safe. And its definition of safe does not include your happiness, your fulfillment, or your satisfaction. It only includes you being you surviving, you being alive in this moment. And all it knows is right now in your present state of circumstances, you're alive. And the only way you're going to nudge it out of that is if you bypass the ego and access the subconscious mind, which I believe basic law of attraction methods can do, where because the subconscious mind is so much more powerful, whereby hook or by crook, things will happen. Yeah. And then, you know, you become rich, you become famous and your ego looks around like, oh, my person's alive. 
Now I will fight tooth and nail to protect this new reality as well. So there's two things I want to reference that. And when you're talking about how the brain works and when we're going into this law of attraction thing, and again, the science behind it. And, and for people out there, like, you know, you talk about this in your book of, you know, and a lot of people out there talk about this idea that it doesn't have to be just this tree huggy, hippy dippy, the secret thing. And, you know, if you will it, it will show up type of thing. That's not really what this is about. When you talk about how our emotional reality works, which mm-hmm. is that three brain triune theory, right? The, the mammalian, reptilian, and uh, neocortex brain. It does. If you real, if one takes time to understand that and then apply it to this, it does make sense that the law of attraction really is how our neurology and our emotional reality work together and how we can practically change that. And so it's not just about getting things but it's about becoming the type of person that we truly are capable of being if only we had the pathway to do it. So it is personal development. It is self-help. And the more we, my guess is, my belief is that the more we do that inner dirty work, that's really not so dirty. It's just, you know, the, the, the term, right? The more we do that good work and we clean that up, the more we're going to be able to acknowledge that we can align with that. We can ask for that. We can deserve that. We are capable of love. We are capable of being loving. We are capable of achieving things, but that all comes from that inner work that that reptilian brain is all about survival. It is all about the I-ness, not the we-ness. And, and when we look at that, and, and one of my previous guests, um, Dr. Andrew Newberg, um, he's a famous neuro- neurologist, he created the field of neurotheology, what happens to our brain and body during religious and spiritual experiences. Mm-hmm. So he was at Penn Medical uh, and started off there. He's written a ton of amazing books, and now he's at Jefferson in the uh, Marcus Institute of Integrative Medicine uh, with one of my other mentors, Dr. Dan Monty, who's the chair of the Integrative Medicine Department at the Marcus Institute at Jefferson. And and so if, if someone wants the science, the real hardcore, awesome, but easy to read science that goes as a compliment to understanding what they're getting from your book. And they're like, okay, so what does this brain thing really do? That's a great, that episode or, you know, in compliment with this episode and knowing that in compliment will fast track a lot of people's understanding, like, okay, come on, like, this is really like, I know you're saying it's science and I know you're saying there's brain stuff, but where's the real data? It exists and it's out there. So I want to, I want to just really tie that in together for people who are still kind of like teetering, like, all right, Jason, like, we love you. We put up with you on your shows and we, you know, we, it's entertaining, but where's the real deal science? It exists. It's in neurology. It is in the triune, T-R-I-U-N-E brain theory. And all of this is really the alignment of yeah. that. And wow, so many things light up in my brain as you were saying that. Um, but just to answer more recent, because you know, you're talking to your audience wants to hear the science and I'm actually going to go a little contrary to that. And I just want to yeah. give them an example just to, to paint a little perspective on this, because by the way, you're, if you want to hear about the science, like you should, it's awesome. But I'm a huge proponent of like, just don't let that stop you from doing this first or trying. And the way Correct. I always like, the way I like to uh, verbalize this, because um, I, I try to go like on a lot of shows where it's like, I love good conversations, but also if there's any kind of skepticism, I want to have an answer for that because the whole point is that the audience is served that even if they don't trust it. So someone might be listening, like I still don't buy a law of attraction to which I say, okay, let's take an example that's very oversimplified of lifting weights to get muscles. Because even though like there's so much more complicated than that, we get it. Lift weights, you get muscles, right? So I have two possible explanations for them as to how that works. Explanation number one is you lift weights 
and you go to sleep at night. And while you're sleeping, the muscle fairy comes, waves a magic wand and poof, you wake up the next day with more muscles. Explanation number two, even though, again, I'm probably going to butcher this, is when you're lifting weights, you're putting so much stress on your body that your muscles are actually tearing in little areas. And then what your body does to heal is it fills in those gaps with more muscle fiber, hence more muscles. Now I ask people, okay, which is the right answer to which a lot of people would probably hopefully say it's the second one, if any of the ones, right? Then in any explanation in Butcher, Andrew, it's the second one to which I would say, well, unless you're a physical therapist or a personal trainer, or you're in that field, maybe the answer doesn't matter. What does matter is you lift weights, you get muscles, you put an X, you get Y. And by that same token, whether or not you believe in the law of attraction, if you engage in these methods of gratitude, visualization, scripting, with no requirement, no expectation, no whatever, it has to be this way, but just a, a, an open-ended feeling of what's, what, whatever happen, happens, by a hook or by a crook, you will be surprised by things that happen. And when those things happen, I implore you, don't give me credit. Don't give my book credit. Don't give the universe credit. Don't give the law of attraction credit. But at the very least, as somebody that appreciates the science, observe the fact that you did these things and got these things back and continue with the experiment of sticking with gratitude and sticking with whatever just to see if more good things happens. And P.S., again, if I'm either lying or deluded about this whole law of attraction thing, studies have shown that gratitude in and of itself will increase self-esteem, it'll increase confidence, it'll reduce anxiety, it will improve sleep, it will help foster a more resilient mindset. So even if you visualize those things that you want and it just feels wonderful while doing it, and then the things don't come, you've still got a win for those those five minutes physiologically in your biochemistry just by engaging in that. And that's what I implore people because also you mentioned the word work. And I say, listen, work is really worth it. You know, you got to put the work in, but by that same token, understanding what I know about my ego, I want to avoid work where I can in a way that's still productive and still useful for me. So what I'm going to do is I'm not just going to do methods, these, these law of attraction manifesting methods I talk about out of a sense of obligation or commitment. I'm going to find ones that I actually enjoy because it needs to be a method that I look forward to, that I don't grip my teeth and say, oh, I got to do this today. It's got to be so fun and so enjoyable that I look forward to it. And it's only got to be five minutes or so because I have a busy day. So even if this is awesome, I don't want to feel like I'm missing out on my work or my relationship or whatever else I have to do. That's why I'm such a huge proponent of finding methods that are convenient and fun and quick so that you can actually engage in this process. And again, see through yourself. Because for me, one of the best sciences in the world is the science of observation, of the science of putting things out there and seeing what happens, whether they're esoteric or not, whether they're tangible or not, just seeing for yourself in your own life experience. Because I feel really good about my book. I have a huge ego about it. But I will tell you, there's no better teacher than your own personal life experience. And it's that simple sometimes. And it, like you said, it's, it doesn't even have to take five minutes. It could be that 30 seconds or 45 seconds of just going back into gratitude. It reminded me of a story after high school. Um, I did so poorly in high school. I had so much chaos going on that I didn't even know. I think I was accepted to one college on like academic, like probation and like whatever. So I ended up deferring and um, I ended up studying in Israel for two years and life was again, like it was chaotic. So I was definitely dealing with some heavy emotions and significant depression at that time at 17, 18 years old. And somehow at some way there was this one song by the band fish that was on their live one CD that came out right before that um, bouncing around the room. It was the opening track of the album. And it just starts off with this like crazy baseline for the first little bit. 
And then all of a sudden you hear the crowd come in. And I got to a place and now looking back, this is exactly that, right? Looking back in my mind, I got to a place where I didn't even have to have the CD in front of me, but just in my memory of having played it in so many times that I can play the baseline in my mind, hear the crowd come into my mind and feel the energy of Madison Square Gardens. I think that's where it was recorded, right? That energy of whatever 1,000, 20,000 people and that's in the stadium and in the arena without it even playing, but having it playing in my mind of memory could help me feel better within 15 or 20, 30 seconds. So I had no clue back then about the law of attraction. I have no clue about get to the feeling that you desire about anything that gets you to a good feeling place that has nothing to do with what you're experiencing now. But I didn't even realize I was practicing this without Mm -hmm. even knowing anything about it. And now to this day, 20, whatever years later, so that was 1996 and now we're in 2022, I can still go to that. Now it's a lot easier. It's now it's on my iPhone and I just have to, right. It'll take me four seconds to get there instead of actually not having it around me. But like, even if I don't, I can still think of that baseline right now and the crowd and the, and it still brings me. So that's my easy entry in, right. As you said, music, right. It is a very easy way for, I want to challenge people to find the memory, find the things that was just an easy, positive go-to moment in your life and go, and what are the memories and the positive feelings? And is there a sensory thing? And is there a smell? Is there a taste? Is there a, a joke? Is there a, whatever it is that just brings you to a good feeling place without any real effort or work. And I love that. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'll say this because I think um, you and I, we're, we're both strategy people. Like we understand whether it's intuitively or, you know, just, we only understand the value of strategically, using our own human nature and psychology to our benefit and advantage. And what I would remind people, because I think the advice that you're giving is so wonderful. Um, a little extra piece on top of that is depending on who you are as a person and depending on the memory and depending on just, you know, how things go, that memory might elicit feelings that are more subtle or more obvious each time, you know, that, that smell that you're going to from that concert, you know, of the, of the beer it might change to chicken wings or it, it you know what I mean? It's like, there, there's, there's different things. So I would also, you know, advise people to be open to wherever those memories take them and understand that by being open to different sites and different smells within the memory, you're actually adding more to your toolbox for more options for feeling better that you can try out whenever you want to. Right. It's different vantage points and it can evolve with different. Um, it's kind of like going back through a book when we were kids and reading it again. It's like, Oh, I don't remember that or, or understanding it from a different perspective of the, what life wisdom has given you now and repackaging it and repurposing it for, for today's thing. And there was one other point that I wanted to go back to, which is when we were talking about the possible outcomes of what we can have mm-hmm. and the potential things of like, well, if I become this wealthy or if I become this successful, you're talking about like people coming in, like wanting out of the woodwork and asking for money. One of the things that I love working through with my clients is the risk of their goal. What comes along and really getting them clear of, well, if you did achieve that, what risks are becoming apparent, would show up for you, for your family, for your friends, for your business, for whatever it would be. And like, well, what do you mean? There's no, there's no risks of me having that. And my simple response would be, well, but if there wasn't risks, wouldn't you be doing it already consciously? 
right? And and they don't realize that we have these layers of self-preservation, which we you and I were talking about before. The I has to be preserved first before all these other things that we're trying to co-create and build in our lives. And once I do get them and allow them to, to really sift and sort through that, they do find one or two beliefs about things that are holding them back at that layer to get the success that they achieve because it's not directly apparent to them until, well, you, like you said, well, who might show up and try to take this from you once you get there, who might try to ruin your name and your reputation? What lawsuits could you get into by getting that big, right? What's uh, I heard a great little snippet from um, with Elon Musk was being interviewed about something about, he's like, well, Jeff Bezos doesn't like you so much. He's like, I don't know why he's like, well, do you think it's about the insults? I'm like, well, he thinks, you know, he goes, what do you say? He goes, well, I think that he can maybe look, make a spacecraft look a little bit different with a big smirk on his face. And he, and he goes, well, what would you, you know, what would you say to him? He's like, well, do you really have that, like that much time, effort and energy? Like, could you, could you probably just focus more on building a spaceship that, that works instead of spending that money suing me? Mm-hmm. Right. Don't sue me because I'm beating you in this. Spend and spend more time focusing on what you want, not on right, which is a straight up law of attraction thing. Don't spend time on that you don't like me doing this. Spend time on why you wanted to do this in the first place. Why? Wow, this is so cool. This other guy is doing it. How can I collaborate with him as opposed to looking at enemy opposition, resistance, distraction? And it's like, yeah, like, like all right. And spend more time going back into the reasons that made you excited about this in the first place versus I need to beat this guy and you're already into a negative feeling place. Yeah. The risk involved, right? And the tricky thing is, and not to speak to this specific situation, but just in any situation, because everyone's been through them, mm-hmm. you might be right. You might be right in, in feeling wronged or you might be right that that person, but you still have to do the math of, well, how worth it is it to, to get myself in a negative place? Now, it might be a requirement, like, some, some person might have to sue defensively to literally save their business. I don't think um, mm-hmm. Jeff or Elon have that problem specifically, but there might be someone else where that's all they see, but that's not an emotional response. Hopefully that's more of an intellectual strategic or one. Strategic, yeah. I, I would caution people like, you know, whenever you feel wronged about something, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying, you know, understand that dwelling on it or, or living in that might be holding you back. And um, to kind of switch gears, just to step back, because mm-hmm. you were talking to people, like you were giving that example of like, well, what would this feel like? What would this be like? That really lit me up because it reminded me of um, one of the methods I teach. It's similar. I call it the, um, the protecting the prize method. And it was inspired by a story about a UFC fighter that, you know, she was in, I think she was in the strawweight division. And she had a sports psychologist take her through two visualizations. One was winning the world title but the other one was defending it. And, and the reason that lit me up is because a lot of times people, especially people that don't um, appreciate love attraction or think it's a scam or whatever, they do that visualization of getting the thing. But because they don't know what that feels like, they put this undue pressure and it just it feels incomplete for them where I'm like, OK, let's bypass that. Let's actually go from the place of answering questions of what it's like. So if you're defending your title, well, you know, what are things that you have to do now all of a sudden, okay, you have extra press you have to deal with because UFC is going to promote you. You've got to incorporate that. Like you're, you're having these visualizations. And by that same token, if you're like, you want to be rich, don't just think about what, what it's like to win the lottery, 
Think about what those meetings are going to be like with your accountant as you talk about managing your money, managing your portfolio. You want to get in that relationship? Don't just think about matching on that dating app and going out on a date. Think about what it's going to be like. Okay, we'll decide like where are you, who's going to live with who, what kind of furniture you're going to do, like what decisions you need to make after you already have the thing that you want because it's such an empowered level of visualization that you're not used to and therefore you give yourself more permission to really feel into because you, there's a more there's a flexibility and a freedom there where you know it's not going to be perfect but it's going to be open enough that you can actually access it and have a way more potent visualization again energetically for the universe if you believe in that or psychologically to your subconscious mind if you believe in that and i think we saw that very apparent in the recent uh, was at the Australian Open where you have Rafa and Djokovic and Federer all competing for the Grand Slam uh, i mean for the amount of right, titles that they've had and there was so much focus on what someone's not doing right and so much on the regulations and 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 it's it is as opposed to going back to the sportsmanship and i feel like tennis kind of like for me at least is like one of the few sports where there's actually some level of sportsmanship left mm-hmm. and yeah. over the last couple of years right one with what's going on in the world but two like i feel like it's been unfortunately losing that and that's like oh man like but they can still go back to the sportsmanship of of the beauty of this this pure purest sport and 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 there was an opportunity to to make it a win 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 of course right yes of course we're going to be competing we're all going to be competing and 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 you know what i may not get there yet and it may be and i may be doing this dance with rafa and federer and federer's going to say i may be doing this dance with with rafa and djokovic right in other words there's a way that we can construct our challenges where even if someone else wins, it doesn't mean you lose. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I think, was it the seven habits of highly effective people? Um, I think that was the first book I read that, that introduced to me that concept of like win-win that, that mm-hmm. someone else doesn't have to lose. And I'll say from personal experience, that has made success for me personally, so much more easy, so much easier because I think again, um, going back to you know the discussion you had with your clients and they had these beliefs in them that they didn't even realize. Sometimes beliefs are people that they think that money is bad. You, in my opinion, you destroy that belief. You knock it out of the water when you're doing things in a way that benefits everyone. You're not taking money from someone else. You're giving value to them. And I don't mean that as like a manipulation. I mean that as, as a genuine goal. And I think if, if anyone, if people introduce that idea of win-win into all their scenarios, it changes the context of negotiations with them. It changes the context of relationships. It changes things and, and it creates solutions that they never would have seen otherwise because all of a sudden now they can even put themselves in a position where that other person that's in the mix can clearly see that there's something different about this and will respond in kind. Yeah, and I think that's why I'm enjoying podcasting so much that it's really like people are like, well, are you getting you know, people to advertise on. And I'm like, it's really leverage for many things. But one, like I said before, to bring this value out for more people. And I know that word, that also word value has been way overused and you know, very loaded word, yeah. right, very loaded word at this point too, but right. But it is, it's like, it's like, what's it like people who don't know if they want to invest in a really a professional relationship with me have 120 plus hours of spending time with me talking to other people to see what it would be like to have a deeper relationship with me professionally. And I, I think that's the leverage of, of, of one of these things and to hear a cultivation of that. And 
Um, I really do believe that that win-win, and I love that quote that I've only learned a few years ago, is a rising tide raises all ships. And if we go into that consistently, okay, well, how can it be a win-win? And and it's not always going to be an equivalent win-win. Yeah, that, that's such a good point. In fact, I'd say it not only does it not have to be, it probably isn't supposed to be because if you get to a place where it has to be even, you're, you're technically, you're, you're limiting the possibilities. Like me, if, if I help someone like make a $10 million and they give me 1 million instead of five, when they didn't have to give me any, I got a million dollars. Like, all right, cool. It's like, there, there's so many ways, like, again, like, Another example, first, of all, I love the fact that, you know, you're doing this podcast, you're putting yourself out there, you're making it so clear of, again, what it's going to be like to work with Jason, who Jason is, Jason's philosophy, how he helps his clients, because even in this episode alone, you're giving examples without revealing, without divulging sensitive information, which is making clear that you never do that, but you are making it clear about how you help people. What a picture perfect way of, of giving people wins while also putting what I think is a valuable and um, deserve it spotlight on your business. Like for me, YouTube stuff, I have a YouTube channel where I teach new methods that aren't even in the book. Now I can say, well, no, I got to make them go to the book to learn all the methods. Like, no, I, if I come up with a new method and it's useful, I'm going to put on YouTube and, and people, as you can see right now in this, like I've always got my book in the background, people, the right people will buy the book and the wrong people won't. And it's fine. And like, if you watch my YouTube video and you don't buy my book, I don't be like, no, you owe me a book sale. It's like, no, listen, I'm doing this for a purpose and the right people are going to hear about me and they're going to see the way I go about business. They're going to see the way I articulate things and they're going to make a determination from there, whether my book is useful to them. And if it's not, if they don't think it is that they shouldn't buy it, they should only buy it if they think it's, it's the right thing. So I'm with you hundred percent on you create those win-wins, you create opportunity just by being yourself. And again, to use that overused word value, you give value. So many good things happen. And I think that's, what's allowed me to sustain 120 plus episodes versus I think the average podcaster does 10. Mm. That's the actual stats on this is I'm having fun doing this with the people I'm doing it with. And that goes back to full circle to where we started, which is right. Everything needs to be at that level of fun and playful and ease. Now it doesn't mean everything's going to be easy, but mm-hmm. can we find the simplest way? Again, I had this conversation with like, literally I was talking to someone about like connecting with other people. I'm like, let's both take out our phone. Who is the person on the top of your mind that you really miss? And I want you to send them a second, seven second voice note. Well, what do I need to say? Hey, I miss you. Hope you're doing well. Looking forward to hearing back from you when you get a chance. Seven seconds. And life is a series of positive decisions of seven seconds over and over and over again. Connections are a series of second, second connections over and over again. And that momentum is that simple. And that's really what you and I are talking about at yeah. the end of the day. I, I think you've got a book waiting in you just on that concept alone. That, that might be something right there. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it should happen. It could all, happen. All in It'll time, be fun. Right? All in due right? when, when it feels, when it feels ready to Right. When yeah. it feels right. And that's, that's what it is. And of course there is, of course, everybody has a book waiting in front inside of them because everybody has such a beautiful and rich story. If they realize that they have a beautiful and rich story and that someone else could benefit from hearing something and everybody yeah. has something to offer someone else. And I think, you know, even putting the bigger topic aside is, is, is our, you know, worthiness and wanting to connect and wanting to be seen 
and wanting to help other people be seen. I think we all have that. It's at, at a basic fundamental level. And I do think the law of attraction is really about us connecting with everything in the universe in a way that we don't realize we can connect with. Yeah. I mean, the way I see it, the law of attraction is about the fact that we already are connected and it's more about realizing and acknowledging it and inviting Mm -hmm. it. And, you know, it it really is the thing about self-worth. I try to make it easy for people because I think we're, most people are really hard on themselves way more than they should be to which I tell people, listen, in whatever you do throughout the day, whatever actions you take, whatever decisions you make, if you're not intentionally trying to harm yourself or somebody else, you're valued, you're, you're worthy. That's it. That's the only standard you got to worry about. And obviously we're all going to make mistakes, but okay, well, with that attitude of not wanting to hurt myself or others, I will use that as my guiding, you know, guiding light through all these mistakes and through all these decisions. Okay, well, that didn't work out. Let me change this. This won't hurt me or other people and, and so on and so forth. Every, everyone's worthy. They really are. So for those of you out there and you really want to dabble into this, go right to Amazon, type in the name of this book, which is the last law of attraction book you will ever need to read. It is a fun, simple, categorized, so many practical applications. A lot of them we talked about. There's so many more. You can check out Andrew's YouTube, right? It's youtube.com forward slash Andrew Cap. Anything else that they should connect with or find you on? Um, we'll just say for those in the States, if you go to lastlawofattractionbook.com, it'll auto forward to the Amazon listing. And if we have a minute, I want to teach one more method on the way. Oh, out. that'd be amazing. Please. A bit of gratitude. And yeah. this method is actually my favorite from the book. And what I personally, not to put pressure on anyone else, but what I personally attribute to making the most impact from a financial standpoint back in 2008 when I was doing a turnaround. And I call this the time-lapse method. And it's a gratitude method where you're basically going to write down 15 things that you're grateful for. Five are from your past, five are from your present, and five are things that you're looking forward to to having in your future. But you're going to word everything in the present tense, whether it's past, present, or future. It's like, I'm grateful for my wonderful penthouse apartment. Is that past, present, or future? We don't know. I'm just putting it there. So you've got those 15 things worded in the present tense, and then you're going to jumble up that list. So maybe the first thing is a present, then a future, then a past, another present, whatever it might be. And then you're simply going to go down that list one at a time, reading each, reading each item. You could read it out loud or in your mind. It doesn't matter. And then you're going to give yourself 20 to 60 seconds to feel gratitude for that thing before moving on to the next. And the really awesome thing about this method is that two thirds of that list is real, meaning it either has happened or is happening. And therefore the gratitude that you are feeling for it has a level of certainty and power and enthusiasm and momentum that just can't be faked or manipulated. But because we as humans don't downshift psychologically very easily, that same certainty is going to carry over into your reading of the future items as well, which again is going to make a deeper imprint on, based on your beliefs, your subconscious mind or the universe or both. So you are having a wonderful few minutes doing this while simultaneously and effectively programming yourself for future successes as well. My favorite method from the book, um, I highly recommend it. Love it. So here's what I want. If you are willing to do this, please reach out to me and I'm sure you're easy to be found as well. What's the best way for someone to reach out to you after they've practiced and they're like, dude, this is what happened. So, I mean, my, my email is, is contact at awesomemarvels.com, but um, they can just as easily pop on a YouTube, leave a comment, whatever. I try to be very good about, mm-hmm. about checking people out and making sure I'm on top of stuff. Yeah. And then you guys know you can reach out to me on Instagram at you winning life. And if there's any value 
which I know for me there's been, because this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. And you know that this could be a beneficial topic and episode for someone you know. Send it on to them. There's no charge for this podcast. There's no charge. There's no marketing here. It's really about sharing really good wisdom and experiences and positivity with other people. And if there's someone that can benefit from this, again, just you know, the cost of admission, as Andy Frisella says on his podcast, the cost of admission is just sharing this with somebody else that you know. It's so I'm borrowing that and having gratitude for 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 that way that he phrased it. The cost of admission is sharing this with someone that you know this this might be beneficial for. Mm-hmm. So. Andrew, I really want to thank you for the time and the insight and, and the effort, the, the playful effort and you know, taking the time to write the book and putting these exercises and philosophies in a concise, easy, manageable, fun way. Jason, thank you so much for your wonderful, insightful questions. And, and thank you for having me, such, being such a, a great host. And also thank you to your audience for listening. Um, I have much respect for, for the type of people that would listen to this type of show of what you're doing. And I really respect you. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the You Winning Life podcast. If you are ready to minimize your personal and professional struggles and maximize your potential, we would love it if you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at You Winning Life.